Hey everyone, I'm Marshall and she's Courtney and we're your hosts of Blurred Watchers Podcast here on the Pop Break. Come hang out with us as we discuss, cross-examine, theorize, summarize, and review our favorite offerings. And tangents, there will be tangents, whether it be live, streaming, or anything in between. If we watch it and think it's cool, we invite you to come hang with us as we all talk about it. Our episodes post every third Monday on the Pop Break Podcast feed. See you there. Bye. Hello, Modern Day Warriors. I'm Justin Mancini. I'm Noah France. I'm Luke Martin. I'm Chris Mancini. And we are the hosts of Podwork Angels The Rush Hour, a podcast dedicated to the rock band Rush. Hey, isn't that the band that's exclusively listened to by drum students and dads over 60? Well, yes, but uh, we like to think that we explore the real poetry of the band as we look at our favorite songs, our not-so-favorite songs, favorite lyrics, and our favorite musical moments. Or maybe just you want to hear Luke's Getty Lee impression. And the men who hold high places. Uncanny. Well, look for Podwork Angels The Rush Hour on Pop Break Today feed as part of the thepopbreak.com. Every third Tuesday of the month. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number six of the Anchored in Asbury podcast, a monthly music interview series where we talk to artists and creatives about their lives, the inspirations, and they're part of the rich cultural heritage of Asbury Park, New Jersey. This is episode number six. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, and I'll be your host for this episode. Joining us this week is our first non-musical guest as well as our first Pop Break staff writer, who is going to be interviewed for this series. And I'm very excited to have him. Angelo Gingerelli, a good Irishman if there ever was one. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Going on, Bill. Could not be more excited to be everything you said. First Pop Break person on, first non-musician on. Super excited. Yeah, so just to give you a little background on Angelo, I, uh, I think Angelo I first met back in late 2014 early 2015 he actually used to contribute i I, I see if you remember this he actually used to contribute a column called asbury laughs where he used to preview all the comedy events around asbury park in the jersey shore he then uh moved on to write an independent a a column called nj next which was an independent hip-hop column he wrote about artists and producers and djs a record i remember a record store owner and my favorite one was the guy who made hip-hop influence rugs. That was the one that will always stand out to me. And currently, besides also being a stand-up comedian, he is the co-owner of Ugly Pancake Productions, which uh, does a whole bunch of comedy shows around the Jersey Shore, and he is a multi-time author. Uh, Besides that, he's also a very proud dad. He's a runner, and uh, somehow found time to come back out of retirement to interview... Eric B. of Eric B. and Rakim, who are playing, I think, right now as we record this at the Stone Pony. So, Angelo, I, I've given you your credentials and I've pumped you up to the audience. Let's start with our first question. Every person out there, you know, gets told at some point that cracks a joke. Oh, you should be a comedian. What inspired you to become a stand up comedian? It's a great question, Bill. Uh, I've been involved in my day job and now part of my life. You've been in sports medicine for over 20 years, right? So just working on college campuses, a large group of college kids at a time, 
I was always able to kind of do, you know, do my job well and make people laugh in the process, right? A lot of times with people that are injured, people not feeling great about themselves. And if you kind of bring some levity to that and make people feel good when they're, you know, lifting heavy weights or doing an ACL rehab or something like that, you kind of kind of build a better relationship, right? So a lot of the players were telling me I was funny. I loved like making fun of my family at family parties, my cousins and stuff like that. And then right around 2007, I was working in North Jersey, just a train ride away from New York City and taking the train to the city a couple of times a week to go to open mics. And it went pretty good for a, about a six month period in 2007. I was hitting a couple of mics a week and, and getting booked on some you know fairly decent shows for a new guy and doing okay. And then over the next couple of years, man, just my, my life just changed drastically. Right, my mom passed away. Oh, um, I met, but so it bad. But then a good thing, I met my wife. I got married. I moved down the shore. So the comedy thing just got pushed super to the back burner, right? And then uh, my first summer down in Asbury Park was 2013. And me and my wife and my cousin and her husband went to a comedy show at the Showroom Theater, which is still around now. So we'll talk about it in a second. And uh, the stand-up show was a good show, but at the end, the host came out and said that was going to be the last one because she was moving on to, to go do some other things away from Asbury Park. And just hit me. I had still known a bunch of comedians. I was still kind of in that world a little bit through Facebook and probably even MySpace might have still been a thing at that time. Probably, yeah. And uh, I was like, well, if she's leaving, let me approach the owners of the showroom, uh, Mike and Nancy, who are in Asbury Park. People know the original owners of the showroom, Mike Sedano and Nancy Sabino. And I was like, yeah, I think I can do the show Heather Pryor was doing with my connections and I'll host and this kind of thing. And then in July 2013, so almost exactly 10 years ago, they took took a shot on me and we did the first one in July. And that became a monthly theater show in Asbury uh, one Saturday a month for just about two years. So tell me about those early days in New York. What were some of the first rooms that you were working? Uh, you're doing the open mic. Uh, I, I probably know them as soon as you say them, but just give us a, a taste of where you were working. I think the Village Underground might have been one of yeah, the first of places I was doing a lot. Um, the Comedy Store was already by then kind of an established brand that if they had an open mic at the time, I, I never went to it. I never performed there. Right. Uh, and then a lot of like the bar shows that would go on, kind of like a comic would get a space in a bar, uh, usually earlier, like during a happy hour time. Uh, a lot of that was going on in the Village and Soho in that area uh, in those mid 2000s. 2005 to 2010 years kind of kind of time frame yeah i mean as soon as you said village underground i'm like yep exactly and do you remember did you get to any of like non-open mic shows were you actually on some comedy club shows uh before you kind of had to put, go on hiatus i'll be honest man i was on a few they were always like if a club had like two shows a night i might be on the earlier one sure. super early on the lineup uh like i said it was only a couple month run and I, it was really it was a lot of fun but to say I really made any any inroads into New York City comedy scene, I'd be kind of be, kind of be lying, right? I, I always look at it as I did that as kind of like the preseason to my career, and then I really started in July of 2013 in Asbury Park. And I hope we'll talk about that more. Your show does a great job of cataloging all these great things that go on in Asbury. But I think like anything I've achieved in comedy without Asbury Park and without the venues we're going to talk about, the people we're going to talk about later. It, it doesn't happen. It was I was a very, very small fish in the ocean in New York City, and I hit Asbury Park at exactly the right time to actually make an impact on the city and the art scene there. And I'm not I'm not delusional. If I would have been a year or two earlier, it would have been way less of an impact. If I would have waited yes. a year or two more, it wouldn't have happened. It happened because I was the right guy at the right time and got incredibly lucky walking into a couple great venues that threw the dice on me when I was really just, just a nobody with no experience. And some of those things worked out really well and, and, 
and grew into something beautiful and ongoing. Some of them were failures that didn't work, but I learned from all of them. So, yeah, just to set the the table, just give a little background for people who don't know the Jersey Shore comedy scene. Well, you're lucky that I covered the bar, dining, and art scene for about 10 years. It really was, if you weren't performing at Uncle Vinny's in Point Pleasant Beach, if you or if you weren't at the Stress Factory, those were the two major comedy clubs that mattered. Like, there were some here and there. You would get Jimmy C's and Tom's River. There was... Uh, a couple places, a couple bars would do a comedy night. There would be a roving comedy club that would bounce to different hotels or different bars. But Or you'd have the random open mic night like you talked about just now. Uh, so it wasn't like this thriving bastion of a comedy scene, except when you got to Asbury, you had an alternative comedy scene with people like Taylor Allen, who was involved in there. Uh, also... Um, a couple other people, and of course, as soon as I went to, I'd like Dan Gagliardi, and I want to say Rob Avon was doing stuff down there. Melissa Jobin, a couple other people. I, th- I think I put Michael Keefe in there with the Improv Michael Jam. Keefe. That crew was definitely a little bit before me. I think they were the Improv Jam that worked out of uh, Count Basie and other spots within a Red Bank. You're right. Michael Keefe was also a musician uh, out of uh, the shore too. He did a couple of good cover bands. Uh, so th- that was that was really it. So tell me when you, and 2013 to 2015, I agree, was a very pivotal time for Asbury Park. Uh, I've mentioned it, I think, on other podcasts, but right in 2013, I was in the Asbury scene trying to launch a radio station from the ground up. Uh, so there was a lot of, it was not what you know, Asbury Park in 2023. It was still the Wild West. It was not built up. Stuff like the Beer Garden was still an empty shuttered down building that people you know the rumors were there were bodies in there and stuff like that like there were places that were still condemned and not built up like asbury still was a, a very fresh canvas for us to work on so talk to us about the showroom and that i want to say it was comedy on cookman and talk about those early days and what lessons you like some of the fond memories you have and some of the lessons you took away from you know coming off hiatus and running shows essentially Okay, couple things, man. And at that time, I was referred to 2013 to 2015. I won't say my second childhood was like my second college experience because everyone was sure. an adult, but it was so much fun. Well, we and were still you, kids. Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's funny the way you look at that, right? But one thing I was, I was probably a little older than most of the people running around the scene then, right? So I think one thing, one thing I did probably different than people who wanted to go to mics and try alternative comedy and try sketch shows is I was able, by the nature of nothing else but being a little bit older, to look at it from a business perspective, right? During we're trying to do an ad very, it's got to be that balance of art versus commerce, and it's got to work on both ends at least a little bit, right? So what I, if you go back to 2013 in Asbury, you have a lot of the streets and a lot of the blocks are not, I don't know how to describe it, but they're not redone yet for tourists to come to, right? You still exactly. kind of old no, they, Asbury. We yeah, were it wasn't, re, it wasn't gentrified yet. That's the same. That's how it is. Yeah. Um, Okay, but so you got, but then you had a couple spots. You had the showroom, you had Bank on Madison, you had the Crust and Crumble Pizzeria, a couple spots on the boardwalk, and these, these real estate developers, or in some cases, these mom and pop owners, pumped millions of dollars into making the structure yeah. nice and keeping it to have a security and staff and all this and liquor licenses. And on the weekends in the summer, they were starting to make money, right? Yeah. But on weeknights and the off season, 
they were still struggling because people weren't going to Asbury on a Tuesday in January, right? And oh, what right. I saw, and I saw the the opportunity for me was. I'm not going to be, you know, the Asbury Jukes. I'm not going to sell to Stone Pony, at least at that point, right? But right. what I can probably do is bring 20 people into a dive bar on a Wednesday in February and make that venue more money than it would make without me, right? Yeah. And that's kind of the idea of can we help a comedy on cooking that does movies five, six nights a week? Can I be that last piece to generate some revenue for the for the venue? And give my friends at the time, my new friends, an opportunity to perform and try new stuff out and get an audience around there and watch what they're doing, right? So you had this right. weird thing of like you had these these venues that were only making money during certain nights, during certain times of the year, but they were paying rent and utilities and wait staff all year round. So I became an asset to them right away. And I kind of saw that coming for me, right? The other thing it did is you had all these comics that were they were younger than than me and you, but they were probably like say 20 to 27, maybe. And they had these ideas they wanted to get out there, whether it be sketch, whether it be improv, whether it be stand-up. And when I say stand-up, this was not what was going on in Uncle Vinny's and Stress Factory. And with no disrespect to what those guys do, no, 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 no. it's a business, right? And with a business, you have to sell tickets and sell drinks and sell dinners to make that business work, right? So these guys, there was kind of a model to how to do that, right? You need an agent, you need a manager, you need to be on tour, you need to sell 400 tickets on any given night to get some of these venues and be in that world. My model was, let's scale that way down. Let's make 20 or 30 people in the crowd buying a couple of beers profitable for everybody, right? Control yeah. cost, make it cheap, and cultivate art in the community. And if that generates some revenue for people, awesome. So I think one thing, and I always say, I think to compare me or, or even Ugly Pancake to some extent, it's like a traditional comedy club is unfair because yeah, – we, we don't have the overhead. We don't have the liquor license. We don't, we're not playing the same game, right? So we can take wild chances and fail sometimes. Whereas an Uncle Vinny's or a stretch factory or a big room in Atlantic City, they can't afford to do that. Next thing you know, they're laying people off and shutting the doors. So I think one thing that I, I love about Asbury Park and why it's been such a big part of my life at this point is I like the balance between art and commerce, right? And I like the balance of can we find a way to get these artistic people a venue to perform in and let them find an audience? And I think there's not there's not a ton of places where that's going on right now at the level it's going on in Asbury. And I think it's still happening. I think a lot of it, the tendency in our world is kind of kind of look back with fondness on those early years and kind of lament what's happened now. I do think the peak of what we were doing was probably somewhere around 2015, something around that era. But I do think there's a lot of cool stuff going on there now. Oh, yeah. If you were able to be a part of it then, you should look back and be thankful you got a piece of that and not just be, you know, the you know, angry old man that is not still exactly the same as it was 10 years ago. Well, it never was going to be what it was. Because I can tell you when we were doing it in 2013, those people who were in the scene longer than us were like, well, this isn't 2007 yeah. when it was – artists were just running the bars and just doing whatever they wanted and everything was wild and crazy. Like you said, they had to make money and Asbury was on the upward trajectory no matter what. But what people don't remember is the winter was dead. And that's how I got a show at the Wonder Bar. And I was able to put in every other week, we we're bringing in 50, 60, and sometimes 100 people. And they loved us because I wasn't taking money. And they were they were making money at the bar. So can you remember any of the, the artists, that, any shows that you back look back on really fondly uh, during that um, that era for, you know, comedy on Cookman? I know we said, you know, you can't, you know, you look back fondly on it, then you move, you have to move forward, but you can still look back fondly, though. Yeah, man, we, we, what, I, two, the two favorite shows, I, I, I'm going to give you three comedy on Cookman's I'll remember sure. forever. One, in August of 2013, 
John Poveromo, who is from Tom's River, but sure. a touring, touring comic. He brought the house down at a level at in comedy on Cookman at the showroom theater. I'm not sure I've ever seen a comedian crush like this at any level. And I've been to big time comedy shows, Netflix, anything else. The 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 guy just ran our theater into the ground with, with punchline after punchline, a level I've never seen. And then the two things I did every December I was running that show is I would have all the comics that were available on like say December 20th or the end of the year show was gonna be. Uh, we had all-star teams. I put it up on a, on a survey monkey and people would vote for the ones they wanted to come back. That's right. So that, that ended up being really fun as far as the comics all campaigning to get votes and come back. And it, it's weird. It's only a 60-60 theater, but we were getting hundreds of votes for people because they were getting all their friends, yeah, all their followers. Um, and it was really it was really a good time. And, one of those, and it was always a good way to end the year. Because I, I do remember me. Um, did you ever win an Asbury Park Music Award? I've been nominated many so, a time. Okay, in fact, I, my wife almost started a fight at the first one because there was a writer whose name escapes me who was in the Aquarian who was very drunk, and it was 2013, 2012. I just lost my job, and or and 2012 or 20, I don't remember one of those years. And she and they named they read my name out, and they're like, "Who the hell is that?" And she just yelled, "F you, buddy!" <laughs> and I'm just like. Uh, thanks. Dude, thanks. And, the uh, one time my wife has ever yelled at at public ever. <laughs> I'm gonna throw this out there, man. I, I've been nominated as top comedian four times, lost four times. If oh, you yeah. put in, sure. if you put in the pop rate nominations, I probably lost ten plus Edward Music Awards over the years. But I would always put that comedy cooking all star show like the next night or two after because I like I knew that would cheer me up. Like I knew that end of the year fire show and the after party. It was always a Baca Lounge, which I believe now is Asbury Ale House. Um, would always be like a fun way to end the year after you know taking another L at the Asbury Park Music Awards. Baca Lounge, oh my! No, no, no. Baca Lounge was is now Bonnie Reed. That that's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's the same block, though, right? Yeah, it's same block. Baca Lounge was a. I was just thinking about that place the other day. I couldn't remember the name of it because it was a quote unquote sports lounge. I'm like, Ooh, that is not a good concept. Uh, but and it didn't it didn't last. Seafood worked. Who would have known? But yeah, I've been nominated. I nominated Pop Rick and myself have both been nominated multiple times and lost multiple times so i think we're tied on our number but I, will, I will say that, that it's even going there to lose it's a great event oh, i would yeah, say it's like sure. it's like the prom for asbury park like it is everybody's kind of dressed up at the end of the year the bands are great um, oh, like the I bands are always great Owen four or more and i still have a blast every year going i hope they bring it back i really that's one of the few things i really like to see brought back yeah COVID that i haven't heard much about yet it's probably you and i are probably gonna have to do it yeah um, but, uh, you, you started one thing, uh, you know, like I said, I've com covered comedy for a long time, but when we first started, you know, working together in 2015, one thing I really appreciated about you was you were all about not elevating Angelo. You were about elevating a scene and I have seen comedy clubs and comedians. I'm not naming names, but it's a lot about, it's about self. And it's not just about, I just want to be good. It's about cutting the other person down. And that's also in the service industry. That's in every walk of life. But like, especially with artists I, and comedians, I've seen it's a lot of cutting down, a lot of back talk, but you really want to foster something here. Why is that? Besides hey, the I, fact you're a nice guy. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. There's that. There's also the idea that, in my opinion, if, you're, if you want to be the only comedian in your city, you're going to be the king of the castle. But that's a very, very small castle, right? Nobody can, at my stage in life with a family and a day job and a bunch of other pursuits, 
I can't run seven shows a week. I just can't, right? So the best world for me to live in is I can run two, one or two shows a week, and the other couple nights, I have other things going on that I could jump on, try new material, podcast I could go on, improv stuff I could go check out. And if you don't live in New York or LA or let's say Chicago or Boston, and that doesn't exist, it's real hard to get funny in a city without a scene, right? So yeah. my idea was, now listen, I'm not completely selfless. If I'm running an open mic every Monday for three years and you're going to set up shop next door to me on Mondays, we're going to have a problem. That's just the way it's going to go. I mean, right? yeah. That if, you're gonna, if you're going to go Tuesday and I can come out to your stuff some Tuesdays and you come out to my stuff some Mondays, what possible good do we have from fighting with each other? Um, And, the, and it really, at the end of the day, too, I say this in my book, Stand Up and Laugh, that you referenced earlier. Like we're fighting over such little crumbs where nobody's getting rich out of this anyway. What is the point of us not trying to elevate each other and get better? Because the best version, the best version of Asbury is whether it's that when you walk down Cookman Avenue, the first place you pass has a great show going on. The second place you pass has a great show going on. The third place you pass has a great show going on. Right. But yeah. If you go back to what it was in the late 90s, where there's maybe something happening at the Saint and then five miles of nothing. I don't think anybody wins in that in that environment. I agree. You you talk to people who were there in the seventies. Um, I inter- you know I'll name drop interview Bon Jovi back in two thousand five. His favorite thing about Asbury was you go down to every single bar at the boardwalk had a rock and show. Everyone was packed to the gills. That's what you want in this scene. I, I used to joke around. Right around twenty fifteen, I came to the conclusion of Asbury Park is the first place I've ever lived. So it might exist elsewhere, but I don't. I've never been there where you could go out by yourself, no plan, and by mistake, have a great time, right? Yeah. You can literally, every restaurant's pretty good, right? Any bar you stumble into is going to be a fun place where people are having drinks, having a good time, good conversation, or a great performance going on. And I think to some extent, that's still there, right? Oh, it's a I, little I different. It it's, a, it's a little more expensive. Um, it's a little different. But that I don't think that's dead yet. I think that's still happening there. Oh, it's 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 not dead at all. I mean, Asbury has changed with the money coming in, so you have a different vibe and a different crowd, but you still have stuff like our last episode we talked to the guys are Happy Mondays. It's a free Monday night show with original bands. If people didn't believe in original music, it wouldn't be happening. There wouldn't be comedy around Asbury. There wouldn't be weirdness still happening in Asbury Park. They wouldn't have wooden walls with the wild art all over the city. If, if they didn't care about it, it wouldn't be there. And yeah, you could still go out any night of the week and have fun. You, you could have a little more, a couple more dollars in your pocket, but still, you can have fun. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, I, I uh, so you talked about, you just mentioned your book. Like, talk, talk about, some people be like, how is this guy, why is this guy writing a book about standing? Like, you know, what was the, uh, what was the impetus for the book? And, you know, I've used writing as catharsis as so much in my life. Um, whether it's, you know, just for my own creativity, for mental health, for stuff like that. Like, talk about how, what that book did for you after you published it. Like, how did that, like, did that change your thought process? Did that open anything up for you mentally? Let's really open our third eye on this one, Angelo. Okay, cool. So a couple things it did, man. I, I, I agree. Writing is a great exercise. I think more people should probably do it. And one thing I will say is when we've published a couple books in the last couple of years and have my writing, particularly this Eric B interview I did with you guys last week, seen by a lot of people right yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not i'm not i'm not sure I, I get the credit i'm not sure i get to tell you how much i appreciate the opportunity that pop rate gave me 
seven, eight years ago, as far as working with an editor, working with deadlines, working with writing for people that like the Eric B interview is not read by exclusively hip hop fanatics like me. It's being read by a much more general audience, how to make that palatable to more people. So I, re- I learned a lot at the pop break and I took a lot into my book writing that I did later. So what oh, happened thanks, to me was <laughs> no, I, 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 no problem, man. Um, but in 20, probably 18, about five years in, I kept getting questions from other comics that were younger, but I want to start an open mic in my town. I want to book a okay. show here. How do I set up a PA system, right? Or oh. I book, I booked yeah. a room, I booked a room, but it's pitch black with no lighting. What lights do I buy? That kind of stuff, right? So I was like, I was looking at all these guys online, these like stand-up comedy coaches and courses you could take, teaching you how to be funny. And my attitude on that is, I don't know, even if you could take a lesson from one of the all-time greats like Chris Rock, I don't know if he could teach you anything except how to be Chris Rock. Right. So I, 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 I don't think you could do that. But what I think you could teach people and it didn't exist was how does the business side of it work? How do you approach yeah. a venue and say, I like to run an open mic the third Wednesday of every week. This is what we can anticipate as far as numbers of people coming out, numbers of drinks sold, numbers of dinners sold, this whole kind of thing. So I wrote an entire book about it that I'm on it, to be honest, still kind of pitching the whole book version of it. What got picked up in 2020 was the zine. So for, I'm going to explain for the, I know you know what a zine is. But I'm <laughs> please, people, please educate the youth. Yeah, some people <laughs> listen to the podcast. I'm going to explain a concept that you almost can't imagine during the internet era. Um, but people would write basically blogs, staple them together, do hand-drawn artwork, and kind of yeah. disseminate them to their friends before blogs or tweets were a thing. Yeah. So, And I grew up in that era, right? I was very, even though I, I grew up in Tom's River, I never hung out in Asbury, but the, the underground hip-hop, punk rock, skateboarding world always intrigued yeah. me my whole life, right? So the, this company called Microcosm Publishing is based on the West Coast. It's like, we're not sure if it's worth our time and effort to publish a book, but we want to do a zine, right? So we had about a... I'm trying to think of somewhere on a 50 page, you know, small model zine has been out there for over two years now. And what it's it kind of allowed me to do and what I've got a lot of good feedback on is teaching people how to do what we did in Asbury in other places. Right. Because I always say being part of a scene like ours is special. It's not yeah. unique. It's not unique, though. The same kind of things are going on in places like Asheville, North Carolina, oh, Austin, yeah. Texas, the Bay Area out in California, but people want to get in or if you want to do that where they live. And I was getting a lot of you know emails and questions about it. Like, Let me just get this information out there to everybody at once. And that and so and what I did after that, they, so that was 2021 that dropped 2022. I promoted all year 2023. I did a podcast, which is an audio book. And then I interviewed comics based on the chapter of the audio book I read. And now I'm trying to get the entire book out there because there's more to say on this topic. I kind of got the appetizer out there and I'm not trying to drop the full meal. Yeah, because again, having covered this, you know, comedy scene and the bar scenes for so long, comedy nights, open mic nights are usually done wrong. They're usually just like, they literally just put a microphone there and it's just like, put asses in seats. And that's about as much effort. It's like, maybe there's a social media post from the venue and that's it. Like, I, I know there was a bar in my town that our, our mutual friend and former Pop Break comic book editor, Mark Henley, did. And he was excellent he was not on he was not the headliner but he he is hysterically funny no question but you know no one came because no one knew about it and it was it was the lighting was terrible it was a horrible setup i mean it really was but the talent outweighed actually all the comics on that were very good and but you know if it had been promoted a little better presented a little better they still probably be having that night and when i say that especially in the social media era but it probably pertain to the world before that too if you wait for other people to promote what you're doing yeah. you're gonna be waiting forever 
let people know, figure. And one thing that I think is really cool about Asbury over the last 10 years is there are some channels that have a lot of eyes on them that are very open to including your events on them, right? I'll put the pop break in that category. I'll put Tri-City News in that category. City, yeah. Put a bunch of podcasts in that category that they'll have new people on and they talk about what they're doing and, and people read those outlets. But I always say that's not something you're going to learn on your first event, right? If you just moved no. to Asbury, you would not know any of that. So you got to put some time in and figure out what, what message boards, what Instagram accounts, what TikToks people look at, what newspapers in the case of Tri-City News, and try to link up with them and help them promote what they're what you're doing. Uh, and that's not kind of like, why create Ugly Pink? I, I mean, the answer is kind of obvious, but it's just like, you could have just been running this, but you're now branching out from Asbury. You're going over. I know you've done stuff in Tom's River, other towns. Tell us about your company that you run. You have, you have a partner in this. Like, Tell us about what you guys do. Perfect. Uh, so pre-pandemic in 2019, I linked up with another comic named Joe Borzada. Um, his history in Asbury is actually pretty deep. He lived there for a while, and he owned Pallet Art Space on Cookman Avenue. Yes. In the space that is now Wacky Tobacco, right across the street from Comedy on Cookman, right? So he was hosting. He was one of the guys, I think, that that got it right. He owned a business with a space in a high-traffic part of town and did events nonstop. Every weekend was a new opening. Okay. He did comedy events. He did part of Asbury Underground every year. And I just kind of met him through through that. Which I inadvertently sense. started as the underground. I, I didn't know that. Do you want to tell uh, that story or not? Yeah. So that aforementioned radio station, uh, there was going to be an arts walk that uh, Pat Shavino was running out of Gallery 629 and AP Vibe, which was a thing that Morgan Sackman yep. from House Independence was involved with. And us, it was myself, Billy O'Brien, Mike Merrill, Greg Perillo, aka Race from the 1057 The Hawk back in the day. We were doing this station. That was going to be our launch. We had, I had got artists on the first one of friends of mine. And I said, Hey, we want to book around. And we, he, Pat had already had the art spaces booked. AP Vibe Girls had, that's what they called themselves. Uh, they had some stuff and we were end up booking a lot of the show. And we came up, I think we might have come up with the name Asbury Underground. And since then it has taken off. So I've always had an inadvertent uh, hand in taking that whole thing off. I, I had no idea, man. Yeah. Congrats on being a part of that. Because I'm, I'm going to tell a story right now, which I think is probably the most Asbury Park story ever. Uh, it's, yeah. I think it's 2018 Asbury on the ground, right? My daughter is three years old and she's in a stroller. And my wife had to work. She wasn't with us. So it's me and my daughter doing Asbury on the ground. It's a, it's a great event. Great. And, I, and I, I was aware of Joe Borzada, but we're not friends of where we are now. And um, a singer named, uh, I, can't, I can't think of her name right now. It escapes me for whatever. It was performing in his art gallery, right? So we went to see her. And everything's, most of it's family friendly, at least during the day. So it was cool to have a three-year-old with me, right? Yeah. Um, I asked Joe if we use the bathroom. I go in the bathroom. I call it the stroller. While this singer's on stage, uh, Rodney Corsi from Garden State Hip Hop, yes. Jonathan Ramsey from Ramsey Said What are in the crowd. We know each other only from online at that point. We kind of, you know, handshakes, hugs. I like your work. You like my work. We talk for a minute, right? At that point, we all three, the show ends, all three of us walk outside, and Marshall Fox has a, who's the deaf rugs guy that you mentioned earlier, has a rug display down the street, one of the art galleries. He happens to be there, right? So now we start talking. We're walking down the street some more. Comedian Jack Steiger pops about her. He's doing a show later. He meets us. We turn the corner. Drew the Recluse from Black Suburbia meets us. And Drew the Recluse was the NJ Next column in, let's say, October. And yeah. Marshall Fox is going to be in November. So we got to pick with, like, the three months in a row. Just none of this was planned when I walked out of the house with my <laughs> dog. Right? 
Then we walk around the block and we go to the vintage wave. Um, my guy Chris Trotter doing all the journeys, old school stuff right there, right? So that, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, I am having a ball. This is the coolest thing I'm in a part of. It's all spontaneous. Also, I am by far the least talented person in this oh, cipher by far. Now, listen, we start to break up a little bit. For whatever reason, I'm not booked on Asbury Underground this year. Just, you know, it's cool. I don't get it every year. So me and Steiger keep walking. One of the comics from North Jersey that's doing a short art gallery pops up. And Steiger goes, it's a shame and a travesty that Angelo Gingerelli is not performing at Asbury Underground this year. And his other kid looks up at us and goes, who the hell is Angelo Gingerelli? Oh, <laughs> I've even, had that happen. Even with that, where else can that happen? We're just walking around the streets. You end up on a corner with like two singers, a rapper, two visual artists, two website design blogger guys, comics. And I remember sitting there, th- it's two things I thought. One, this is amazing. And two, how great is it that my daughter, who's in a stroller at the time, gets to grow up in this version of the world? Because when I was her age, I didn't meet one cool artistic person. And here she's around a dozen of them. And just it's it's you know, just a typical Saturday for her. Yeah. I mean, I, I when I was a stay-at-home dad in 2015, I would take Sophie to the Asbury Boardwalk. And, you know, you'd pop in. There's Tara Elliott's running her store. And Billy O'Brien and Jen Sedini were, were working something, doing it. Mike Merrill would be DJing at the beach bar. And, you you know, six other people you'd run into. Or you'd go to a show at what the now late great um, Asbury Yacht Club. And there's there's Ange. There's Dentist. There's this person. Yeah. There's that person. There's Jess Alamo, who, <laughs> who offered me. So it was the first time. So Jess wrote for us. And so she goes, hey, um, would you like an edible? And my response was, because I'm like, I'm totally not going to take one. And I was just like, uh, arrangement? I said, it's an odd thing. I said, do you want my address? Do you want to ship it to me? And she's like, no, no, no. Like, I have it. I'm like, I know what you mean. Dude. I know. I'm like, I'm like, you're also shouting this very loudly at a public boardwalk. I'm not going to take this. Right. Like, uh, I'll, I'll stay calm. That's all. Yeah. I know it's February, but there could be a cop somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it's Asbury is beautiful like that. Even to this day, like you will still run into 10 people. At least I will run into 10 people I know. But uh, tell me, like, so you, you guys formed this company. Oh, yeah. And is it about is it about fostering, like taking that idea that you came with with Comedy on Cookman? And then just like, let's go out into the wilds of the Jersey Shore and let's, one, give opportunities to our friends, but also let's, are you also about not just fostering the scene, but fostering the young talent who are just really going to get their starts there? And also our good friend Waldo, who just needs open mic nights. Well, well, okay, great. Shout out to Waldo. He's a great guy. Um, I have a story about, so I'll tell you a quick story about Waldo. So he always used to go wrestling with me and a bunch of my friends from the internet. It's in House Independence, and this guy, Nick Gage, is one of Waldo's favorites. He's, like, hugging a guy, and it's a, another guy, Jack Evans, flies out of the ring. Nick Gage moves and kicks Waldo right in the nose. Wow. Breaks his nose. He was on a date. He's <laughs> gushing blood from his nose. The girl <laughs> leaves him as he comes back from the bathroom with two huge wads of, uh, of paper towels in his nose. So... I can never not that, tell that story to that, anyone when we talk about it. Yes, that's a good one, man. Um, so yeah, the, the idea of only pancake was just can we can we take this very small model we were kind of doing separately and make it bigger by working together, right? Can we bring this model to breweries and places like Tom's River, Belmar, 
Long Branch, Red Bank, and kind of just expand our footprint a little bit. It's, it's gotten a lot better together than it has separately. And one thing, we, we both kind of get that idea of separate art versus comics. We want to book great comics. We want to give young comics a chance to perform in front of crowds. But we also want to make it profitable for the venues we're working with, right? So we, we don't, again, we're not shooting for super big, you know, beer hall type places. We're shooting a little bit smaller and trying to pack the room out and create a great environment for everybody involved and have good shows. So I think to say there's not a, not a, business component to it we want to generate some profit and some revenue we definitely do but mm -hmm. to say that it's all that and we, we it would be a lie too we both some artistic we want to do shows artistic merit and really push the scene forward right and kind of the way to do that for, at least for right now is to do shows under that umbrella whether it's a, a first of the month pop-up open mic a fundraiser whatever it might be but just kind of create more opportunities for more people and also kind of be the, the center of it so here's a question i did not give you in advance what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy being the promoter and the host, or do you enjoy being the comedian? A great question. I here's what I, what I like. I think when you do when you're just a comic, you jump on somebody else's show, you do a 10, 20 minute set, and you do well, that's an amazing feeling, right? It's yeah. when you get a hundred people laughing at something you said or just really agreeing with you or clapping, it is really it's it's an amazing feeling in the moment, right? But then I think long term, the promoter and the scene you fostered and the impact you've had on other people probably last a little longer. You know what I mean? Because um, I've had a lot of great sets, but I've also had a lot of young comics tell me, you know, the, the open mic at Bank on Madison is the first thing they ever did. And now they're doing their own stuff and touring and stuff like that, or that I gave them a chance to do a comedy on cooking show, an early pancake show, and nobody else did. And that means a lot too. So I think I'd say like, for a quick hit of like adrenaline, a laugh in front of a crowd there's nothing that could top that right but as right. far as thinking you really had an impact um you know I, even something like that, I'm, I'm super honored to be on this podcast right but sure. i'm pretty sure if i'm just a comic no matter how funny i am you probably don't ask me to be on episode six you might be episode 60 later down the line but because of the the things i've done in the community and the kind and the things that not not i've done things i've been a part of it kind of gets me to could have had an impact on more people in a bigger part of the area by being more than just a performer. Fair? I think so. Yeah. I mean, as someone who has promoted myself, like the first show I ever did at Wonder Bar, the opening band got onto the same record label that uh, Creed was on and has toured nationally, opened for Motorhead, performed with Anthrax, has had stuff in soundtracks. And that's just ridiculous. The band's Crowbot, if anyone's wondering. Yeah. I mean, like, I've given people their first shows or their first interviews or. It's it it is pretty awesome. And the other thing I'm gonna say, man, because you you fall in a, a category, me and you fall in the categories of people that kind of get hated on to promoters and bloggers or album reviewers. And it's like every artist wants to rage against these people, but by and large, we're trying to do a good job. We're trying to have good shows, trying to get more eyes and more spotlight on the people around us. And I think if you look at most artists' career, there's more people in, at our level trying to help them than trying to harm them. Right. So yep. I think like a lot, I, I, I understand there is a time and a place where somebody gives you a bad album review because they don't like you personally. That's something different. That's why or I never poorly, interview locals ever. I only or interview poor, or a poorly promoted show where everybody loses money. Is it something you might want to speak about? But I mean, if you look at how hard guys like us work to make get eyes on what these artists are doing, I think we, not, we deserve more credit than we get sometimes from the artists themselves. And that's a sweeping journey because most of the people I deal with are incredibly cool and incredibly appreciative. But I think we're, you know, a guy like you, you're trying to do the right thing. And I think it goes incredibly well at incredibly high percentage of the time. 
I also they also know I don't make money, so no one gets mad at me. Well, that that's also <laughs> actually if I if there is my money involved, I don't make any back. So everyone well, loves know, everyone joke, loves me. The joke I always make is like I feel like artists have such a natural inclination to kind of hate the the man or the machine or the industry, yeah. right? And you're like, well, if you did this, this, and this, you're robbing off my plate. I'm like, dude, I drove here in a Nissan. I got to wake up at four <laughs> o'clock in the morning to go to a day job. If I'm robbing you, I'm doing it wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> you are. If, yeah. I mean, I, I, if, if the promoter pulls up in a private plane and you got a, you know, some hot dogs in a green room, you could be mad, right? But yeah. I think you got there in the same car and the guy setting up the mic in the amp when you're tuning your guitar, you're all kind of playing the same game at some point, right? That's why I always help bands load in. So I know I'm part uh, of the team. A hundred percent, man. I have the, you know what? I'll tell you a funny story real quick. There's a venue in, in Long Branch called 10 PRL. It's a big like event space, right? Never heard, heard of it. it. Never okay. heard of it. it it's rich. It, they have weddings there. They have dance recitals. They have a, it's a photo sh uh, studio uh, with like a photo shoot studio. So they contacted me a while ago on an open mic there. I, I ran the open mic for a couple months. It went well. And then right around when uh, when the Ukraine-Russia situation oh. transpired, a bunch of New York comics wanted to come down the shore and do a benefit for the Ukraine. Good idea, right? Yeah. So they and they asked me to be on it because I'm in the building all the time anyway. I did my little 10-minute set. I did well. The minute the show ended, everybody ran out of there because they, quote-unquote, had to get back to the city. I stayed and helped everybody clean up. And I folded up like <laughs> five, 500 folding chairs like a machine. I'm, like, I'm good at manual labor. If I put myself in mind, so I can do it. And when it was done, the manager comes over, and she's the nicest lady in the world. And she goes, uh, hey, man, you're, you're really efficient at this cleanup. We have weddings that are over at midnight on Friday and Saturday to turn the space over uh, for the next day. Do you want to come in and make cash to help us turn the facility over overnight? And all summer, last summer, I helped them out doing this on weekend nights. But I think that's like most people think when they do a comedy show, they're going to big break to do more comedy. I got a big break to do more manual labor ballroom cleanup from crushing <laughs> at a comedy show. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've been there too. Uh, my <laughs> wedding officiate days, yeah, I've, I've had to set up a few weddings, including uh, my socially distant co-host, Al Manorino, is when I was going in to officiate, and there were two chairs set up for 300 people, and I looked at the, uh, like this chubby little guy bringing in all his chairs. He's like, help me, and I had to recruit every dude there to set this wedding up. It was awesome. I'll tell you what, we'll go to your question in a second, but I will say as much as I love being a part of this arts entertainment world, and it's a yeah. passion of mine, I do think some of the people involved in this would be well served by holding down a regular job and possibly a job involving some kind of physical labor for at least a year or two to figure out some of these things that come as second nature to me and you. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And my argument too is always, if you're going to do shows and you can't set the chairs up or you can't set the mic and PA up or you know nothing about the lighting, you're always going to be holding to the person that does, right? That my attitude, sense, yeah. Until you get to become a super headliner where you got your own team in place, learn everything so nobody can hold off your circus but you. That's my, my attitude is just, I'm going to know every little piece of what I'm doing at a show. So if me and Joe Rosada are great partners. If he gets sick one night and can't make it, I can do everything. Or he can do everything or I can't make it. Um, we're not really super dependent on anybody else. And that's why the partnership works a little bit. Oh, I'd also say knowing how a show works also probably helps your stage performance too. Because 
you know the lighting, you know what lighting works for you, you know what sound doesn't work, you know how things are how a room should feel or what rooms you're comfortable working. So you can be able to go to a sound or lighting guy in a bigger room and say, okay, I like it at this decibel, I like the lights like this, can we just make that happen and that adds to your show? Would you find, do you think that's something that you've picked oh, up and put into your sets? A hundred percent. Yeah, and that's, it's a thing, I think my book will give you a lot of uh, background on that, but I think in reality, you're going to learn that through trial and error and reps. You just got to get out there and do it over and over again, and then you learn how to tune your guitar the right way for this room, how to set the mic at this level for this size crowd, whatever it, whatever it might be. Um, but I do think, you know, if you want to, like I said, unless you're going to be with a, the whole team of managers and agents and producers and lighting techs, Whatever you're doing art-wise, you might as well learn how to do every piece of it as best you can. Work the bad rooms to know how to work the good rooms, right? That's completely fair. Uh, what do you, uh, okay, two-part question. What is a crowning, like, a kind of an achievement that you will put as a stand-up comedian alone that you could always put on the, the Angelo mantle that just above the fireplace and just be like, this is something no one could ever take from me because this is one of my proudest moments as a performer. What would that be? Uh, it's a little bit of a tough one. Um, it could be more than one. Yeah. Well, I would I would say the run of comedy on Cookman shows were really special, right? Well, no, no, okay, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna oh, table that, that because I'm also gonna ask you as a producer, organizer, promoter. Okay. As a separate, gotcha. but as a performer alone, okay, what goes gotcha. on the mantle? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this one, and it, I really I'm a. Uh, I've become kind of the face of comedy in Asbury Park to some extent, but I'm born and raised in Tom's River, just down the, a little bit further down the shore, right? And right around in 2014, when everything was kind of kind of going well in Asbury, I got booked on a show to open for a, a touring company, DC Benny, down in Tom's River. And uh, it was sold out. A lot of my friends from high school came. A lot of my family came. Uh, one of my high school coaches came, which is phenomenally awesome. And uh, I just had probably the best 20 minutes on stage I've ever had um, in front of just like my, it was kind of like my homecoming kind of thing. It was like, it was in the era where like, where was the, were, where was the, where was the show? It was Aqua Blue, which is right of on course. the water by the seaside, by of, the seaside bridge, of right? Of course, I know um, it very well. Yeah. And, but, but I think. Great ice cream sandwiches, homemade. Sure. Great. Okay. Nice. <laughs> uh, but it was still like Tom's River. People were scared to go to Asbury. So like all my friends yes. and family were seeing the stuff I was doing online but never came to anything. And it was like, it was the point, like I was a year and a half in, so I wasn't still terrible. I was like getting to decent, but sure. for whatever reason, that night always sticks out in my head of like just a sellout crowd, tons of friends and family. Um, and just like, I, I know people call it haters a lot, but for whatever reason, that night Tom's River had my back like I was Todd Frazier. And it was just really, wow. really something special. Yeah. We're dropping a Todd Father reference yeah. on this podcast. You know it's good when you're on the level of Todd Frazier and Tom's River. And that's a very, very insular joke to all of us yes. at the Jersey Shore and who watch baseball. Um, so whatever happened to Taylor Allen's baseball podcast? That's what I wanted. Um, I, can I say something real quick? Yes. I can't speak for everybody in Asbury Park. My life is better when Taylor Allen is podcasting regularly. When I have some I Taylor too. Allen content at least once a week, things just tend to go better in all assets of my life. So if Taylor listens to this, I hope he brings at least one of his shows back soon. I had him on Socially Distanced. It was him and Ryan Barry. And we we're going to talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm like, oh, guys, watch the first two episodes. Taylor totally didn't watch the second episode and was drunk on the podcast. <laughs> it made for a lot of fun. It made for yeah, a yeah. lot of fun. 
Um, now, as a, as a promoter, as a guy throwing shows, what's going on in the mantle for you? Uh, I think it's going to be that run of comedy on Copeland from 2013 to 2015. It was just, it's, it's the thing that got the ball rolling for what's going on in Asbury now. Um, and I also got to feature a lot of people that that was kind of their first paid show, first yeah. theater show, first thing they invited their friends and family out to that are doing things now. And even though there hasn't, I mean, we, we brought comedy on Copeland back now with the new owners of the showroom. But there was like a seven-year run where there was nothing labeled comedy on cooking. And the, the amount it got brought up to me, either in person or on podcast or just like on emails and stuff, it was really a lasting, a lasting thing. So I think it's this weird thing of like I, I'd say like every the thing that sticks to me and always like, like hits me in the chest is when somebody says I was the first person to give them a shot to do something, and now they are doing that thing all the time. Because I always look back in, in the nineties none of this existed, at least to me. I didn't know where to go to do an open mic. I didn't know any musicians. I didn't know any rappers. I didn't know anybody that tried to have a podcast. There were no podcasts. There, were no like, podcasts. It was just, there was the entertainment industry was way over here and regular people way over here. And it was no cross-pollination whatsoever. And that was your grind. When I, when I was a kid, the closest thing to his open mic was standing in a Wawa parking lot screaming at 2 o'clock in the morning. And now, <laughs> That's a very New Jersey reference. Yeah. I love it. And, and now if an 18-year-old kid is kind of lost and trying to think about what he wants to do, he or she wants to do, and they want to join a band or they want to sing or they want to do stand-up or write a play, there's a million ways to do that without leaving Monmouth County, which I think just being a part of that always makes me feel special. Um, what's a, you know, you start, you've been doing this for, for almost 10 years. What's something that you've learned, whether it's through stand up or whether it's through promoting that's really changed you as a person Okay, or impacted think, you as a person? Uh, okay. I would say this number one, kind of like I said before about kind of appreciating the good people in your life. Yeah. That I've, and here's what's changed me the most. I think when, when a lot of times people want to be in a silo, like, I only communicate and are friends with this very specific kind of person that went to the schools I went to, has the job I have, their kids go to the same school my kids go to, they drive the same kind of car I drive, they live in the same socioeconomic bracket as me, right? And probably the coolest, one of the coolest things I've learned in Asbury Park in the last 10 years is you can be friends with and learn from all kinds of people, yeah. right? It's yeah. literally comedy has put me in rooms with people that I would never be in, in any other circumstances. And I'm at a point now where I consider some of my best friends, people that are doctors that are trying to do stand up at night to bartenders, to people that dropped out of high school, to people that went to Ivy league schools. You know, I'm, I drive, I'll tell you, I drive a Nissan kicks. It's a decent car, but I'm going to be on a stand up with a guy in a Maserati and a guy riding a 10 speed bicycle. And we could all be friends at the show. And that's one of the, the coolest things I've been a part of and wish opened my mind that so much, so much earlier um, that there's just so many different kinds of people out there. And I think like I'm, I'm to the point in my life now where I just want to, you know, if I make some money every month doing comedy, that's awesome. But I want to be around cool people doing cool things. And I don't know if there's too many more spots with more people doing more cool things than Asbury Park or, you know, the surrounding area of Monmouth County. I agree, man. Yeah, it's it, and it's also the wild characters you run into. Like I mentioned before, Pat from Gallery Six Two Nine. All of a sudden, he like he used to. He, I worked above his gallery, and he owned the building. And he was just like, "Yeah, he came down here in '84 and built, bought like ten buildings." I used to book all these people. I booked Aerosmith one time. I booked this thing at Club Benet for Howard Stern's birthday. I'm like, I thought you were the art guy, and he's just like, "This is the fun part of my life." And I'm like, "What?" And you could run into twenty people like that. 
and no airs about them, and they're just like the coolest cats you're ever going to meet. Yeah, it's, it's a great spot to do that. Um, the other thing, real quick before we go, I think that oh, yeah. that person is intriguing to me. That's had like multiple different lives. Yeah. Um, because I, 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 I kind of thought when I was a kid, I thought like you hit forty and like it's kind of over. You just ride off into the sunset. I mean, for me, it is, but you know. No, but, I mean, think, <laughs> no, but think about somebody you, no, like, you were how whatever age you were when you started pop rate and how that's changed your life in the last 10, 15 years, right? Yeah, 15 and how years. many people you've communicated with and how many big things you've done live performance wise, show wise, blog wise, whatever it might be. Um, tell people like yeah, I, I, everybody says they wish they got into their artistic phase earlier in their life, but also it's not too late later on to jump in and create some great, you know, in your case thousands and thousands of pages of great content in your adult life yeah it's a lot <laughs> but yeah it's true man and that's and that's it is very true because you know we think about it even again the access to art is a lot more prevalent and a lot easier these days than it was 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago especially when you want to get into comedy it was like the comedy clubs would host the open mic night it would be the stress factory when i was in college or you would have an open mic night at the local coffee house and the Good luck from there, pal. Um, you recently, I you did a, a venue that's very close to my heart. It was one of the first places I ever worked with, and that was Uncle Vinny's in Point Pleasant. Um, tell me about that experience, because that is a major room in the state of New Jersey. Um, and I remember, I think I saw your Facebook post. You're like, this was a big goal. Like, do you still have, like, tell me about the experience, but also uh, tell me any goals you still have for comedy out there as a performer and as a promoter. Like, you know, do you have your eyes or your heart maybe set on a bigger room or a bigger, bigger stage for yourself and for your fellow comedians? That's that's a weird question, man. Here's why. Oh, I I, here's why it's a tough one for me, right? And I think a lot of musicians you have fall in this category too. When you pride yourself on being the alternative to the mainstream, it's hard to admit to yourself you want the mainstream to come calling at some point, right? And yeah. I, right? And I've been such the the other, the other guy, not Uncle Vinny's, not Stress Factory for 10 years, that when Uncle Vinny's uh, asked to, to book something there, shout out to Joe Weber and Tim Rager for that opportunity. Um, I was kind of taken aback by it, but I was like, why would I not do that? Like, I've spent 10 years getting good at something. If I could put it in front of more eyes, it would be silly to turn that opportunity down, right? Yeah. So I think like, like a lot of people in our world, you want to uh, keep leveling up and keep getting seen by bigger crowds, but do it in a way with integrity and not, not doing the thing you kind of set out to be the opposite of. So I think like I want ugly pancake to keep doing bigger rooms and bigger crowds. Um, and probably, I think that the next step for us is probably out of the area a little bit, trying to expand that, that footprint outside of Eastern Monmouth County. Um, but besides that goal wise, I, I don't really know. My, my goal up until a year ago was to release my first special and album. I did that on March 31st of 2023. At some point there'll be a sequel. Um, and th I guess those are the, the main goals I've, I've had for the last couple of years. I've, I know I've, I've, I've nailed a lot of them already, but I want to keep rolling and keep getting bigger and doing better stuff. I, you know, my memory sucks a lot of the time. So I forgot about your special. Talk about filming that, man, because that's a different animal because you are now not just playing for your room. You are playing for this invisible audience that's out there. How does that change your performance? It, it changes it because I think you got to so much of at least live comedy is about what's going on in the room, right? Like your material is not hit and you can start making fun of the guy in the front row shirt. But if it's on, you know, Spotify and Apple music, nobody can see the guy's shirt. So you can't do that. Right. So I kind of looked at it as I kind of wrote a, 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 a special with a beginning, a middle and an end and kind of an arc over it. 
And the idea of like, these are kind of the best things I've come up with in the last 10 years that that feed into this story, right? The idea was that it's called stuck in the middle. And the idea is like, I'm stuck between these two worlds. I love my family. I love my day job. I love doing the suburban dad thing, but I also love going to dive bars in Asbury and telling jokes to tatted up people with blue hair that are also in punk rock bands, right? So I like both of those things so much. I'm stuck in the middle of those two worlds. And the special is kind of about just going back and forth. You know what I mean? Um, it's kind of a cool experience to do that. I think it, it, it's a it's a good place to be in life. Got to be able to move between those two worlds and just uh, kind of right in that hour and getting a bunch of people out to watch it and filming it and put it on spot on a streaming service was a really cool experience. Or we're going to wrap up a little bit. Like I want you to, you're not one as, you know, you're very proud of what you've done personally, but you're also proud of the people you've worked with. Who are some people that we should be checking out beside yourself? Uh, out in that comedy scene right now, who are people you're like, guys, these are names either that have been around for a long time that you're really proud of, you want people to check out because they're not getting enough exposure, and they're not on the tips of everyone's tongue, or who are just starting out that you're like, listen, there's something special with this one here. Cool. I'm, I'm going to give you some people that I, I made a little wish when you gave me this question because it, it's always like I knew I was going to be a deer in headlights and forget people, but I got some people that I think are very funny but are also kind of like movers and shakers and doing things people should check out. The first one is my guy, Richard Dweck. He's a very funny young <laughs> yes, man. You know him? But the reason, why, the reason why I put him on is he does the What the Heck with Richard Dweck podcast. Yes. He's literally like the, the Mark Marin or the Charlie Rose of New Jersey Arts Entertainment as far as just having everybody on relentlessly posting a podcast a week uh, and just doing really cool interviews with people that are doing cool things every week. Uh, do you know Vin Brew from the Long Branch Davidians? Um, yes. Okay. okay. I don't know him personally, but I know, I can't forget a band the, name like the, the Long Branch the, Davidians. <laughs> the, name, the name of the band is so amazing, and it's something that is so Vin Brew if you get to know him. He's a really funny stand-up, really talented musician. Uh, he goes around the, around town with a couple different bands, but the Davidians are my favorite. And he's just a really funny dude uh, with a lot of just great material and funny opinions. Uh, Damien Rucci is a guy you might be hearing about now. He's a younger guy. He's kind of the head, the figurehead, the leader of New Jersey poetry renaissance. So he's okay. doing a ton of poetry shows all throughout the state. But one thing I like that he's doing is he's pulling other things into – poetry is performance art, right? So me and him do a show every other Monday called Poems and Punchlines, Half Comics, Half Poets. Yes. He does punk and poetry shows where it's like three poets and a punk band, then a couple more poets, stuff like that. Because I think like spoken word poetry is, I'm not going to say it's a lost art, but it's not being done nearly it as much as it used to be. And uh, he's kind of giving people a chance to be funny or do music or whatever along his poetry stuff, which is great. Uh, then some two people you guys probably know in Asbury, Allie May and Joe McAndrew, uh, booking a Capitoline Ballroom every month. And I think one thing they're doing a little different than Ugly Pancake says. They're bringing kind of headliners from New York down yeah. and people have kind of seen on TV just selling out that really cool basement area. And then the guy I got to shout out, we've said his name at least once already, is Taylor Allen. Um, and the main reason we is love Taylor. he's a great guy. He's super funny and he goes out on a limb and does things different than probably anybody yes. else. I've seen him perform at the Saint dressed as a fish. Um, I've seen yes. him do the Saint, seen him do the showroom dressed as Batman, like the Christopher Nolan version of Batman. <laughs> I, he just, he's not scared to swing for the fences and uh, he hits more home runs than strikeouts, in my opinion. So I think if you're going to talk about comedy in the area, Taylor Allen is just does a lot of funny things. Uh, host of uh, what my my he hosted one of my Pop Ray Christmas shows. I definitely remember that. And uh, 
Angelo, finally, uh, well, thank you for coming on. Let's hear uh, some stuff you guys have coming up that you want to promote. Uh, then promote your stuff because uh, I have to say, again, I, I can't iterate reiterate this point enough. I have seen a lot of promoters in every walk of life uh, throughout my life, and is again, they're never they're about self not seen. You are the exact opposite. People should really read your book and not and, and listen to what you have to say because you are one of like generally. Just saying, being a nice guy, I've met you a number of times, but nobody cares about this scene more than you. And I think we need more people like that out there. And I think there are a lot of good people in Asbury like that, but people need to be more like following your lead on stuff like this about supporting and raising people up and making sure a scene survives so everyone could get healthy, not just one person. Bill, that that's that's amazing. I really appreciate that coming out of your mouth. And I, I feel the exact same about you, which is on the pop rate for a decade plus. And whatever small part I played in that, I will always treasure that time. Um, couple things that I said, I said, uh, I have the book, uh, Stand Up and Laugh, available right now on MichaelCosmPublishing.com. It's a zine, it's 50 pages, it's a quick read. Uh, how to do what we're doing in Asbury, wherever you live. Ugly Pancake Productions, the best way to get in touch with us, either Instagram, Ugly underscore Pancake underscore Comedy, or our Facebook group. Uh, we do a bunch of shows a month. And then uh, my own social media, the best way to get in touch with me is either Angelo.Gingerelli at gmail.com or on Instagram, Mr. Fifth Round, MR, the number five, T-H-R-O-U-N-D. And then uh, that, that, that's really it, man. That's the best way to get in touch with me. I, I love being a part of this. I always treasure my time at the Pop Rates. One bonus question, true or false, you wrote a Seaside Heights version of A Christmas Carol that was supposed to be performed at JR's on the Seaside Boardwalk a few years ago. Okay, what you said is somehow both true and false, and we'll get it out there. It was, I took the uh, Seaside, uh, Tommy Cheeseballs episode of Empty True Life and got the script. Then I I employed, I didn't. We didn't pay them, but I, I, I kind of drafted my dream team of Jersey Shore comedians to read different parts of the script. So I was Tommy Cheeseballs. Oh, Taylor, as you should. <laughs> Taylor, Taylor was like his friend Ralph. I forgot the guy's name. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and we did. We we did. We actually did the show at JR's in Seaside in the middle of December on a weeknight. So I will say this: it wasn't super well attended, right? But I wanted to go, as, but I couldn't get down there. It was also it was also asking people to leave their homes and take a break from Christmas shopping and come to the Seaside's Boardwalk on like Monday, December seventeenth is a lot to ask, right? But I will say this: as far as uh, as having a ridiculous idea and seeing it through to its completely illogical endpoint, that might have been my crowning achievement as far as trying to pull off something that was just so ridiculous and and you know got pulled off. I will say this. On record, if you ever do it again, you better call me. So one, I can promote it, and two, I will be a part of it. No, dude, I would a hundred percent would do it. Absolutely, be the first person off. We do it again. So guys, we're gonna have all of Angelo's links for all his shows, for his book that if you're a comedian, you should pick up, and uh, you know the link to Ugly Pancake, all within the episode description. So join us next week. We have another great episode. Angelo, thank you so much for being a part of us and really bringing to light another part of the Asbury Park scene, which is its very, very funny side. Thank you very much, man. Thank you so much.